You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety in for Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on key injuries across the league with injury analyst Will Carroll, provide your fantasy fix, and preview Thursday night football between the Seattle Seahawks and Arizona Cardinals. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Max Strong, the former fullback, now part of the NFL Legends community. Mac, we appreciate you taking the time. How are you today? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you guys for having me on. It is our pleasure, and we want to break down this game in detail, talk about what you've been up to as well. Let's start with the ground game, because when Seattle picked up Dwayne Brown, that felt like a step in the right direction, bolstering the offensive line. But as you sum up what's going on in the Emerald City, are you surprised that the Seahawks have not been able to run the ball more effectively this year? Yeah, they're still trying to find their way through that. I mean, it's uh, obviously been a work in progress the, the, the entire year. Um, you know, and a lot of people look at the offensive line and the instability there with what they had. They've had some injuries along in that in that area and on, on that uh, that side of the ball. But um, you know, these guys are still trying to find their way. Um, you know, I know uh, Pete Carroll and uh, Tom Cable. Those guys are you know they've been in this position before. They've had to deal with this offensive line and and try to get them on the same page, and then also find the right running back to, to run behind these guys to, to make some, make the ground game really go. And, and I know that's what they want to do. They want to play good defense and run the ball. So hopefully they can find a way to get it done tonight against the Arizona Cardinals. Mac, Nick Ferguson here. You know, w- watching the Seattle team play, they play aggressive type of defense. And usually when you play an aggressive style type of defense, sometimes that means you give up big plays. This team over the past two weeks have given up maybe 13 plays of more than 20-plus yards. What is it that Pete Carroll needs to do with this defense to maybe rein them in so they're not giving up so many explosive plays down the field? Well, it's got to come back to everybody just doing their job. You know, we, um, I mean, we've come to know this defense to be one of the best defenses maybe – of all time over the last, you know, three, four, five years, uh, lead the league again in, in scoring defense. So they, they know how to play defense. They know how to make adjustments. Um, and they just got to get everybody on the same page. I'll tell you a big part of it last week, and, uh, and hopefully it won't be a, a, another issue tonight, is just Mr. Earl Thomas, who, uh, you know, been at center fielder, is uh, probably the best free safety in the game right now. Without him in there, uh, he's, able, he's been able to, over the years with his career there in Seattle, uh, making for a lot of mistakes that any of those guys in the you know the front seven and anybody else that is in, the, in that defensive backfield make he's able to with his speed and his um, smarts his his football savvy be able to make up for that and they haven't had him around and um, that's going to be an issue tonight maybe Thomas with the pick six a couple weeks ago in that thrilling win over Houston unable to play last week with a hamstring injury banged up heading into game time tonight. Taking you around the league with Mac Strong, former Seahawks fullback, proud member of the NFL Legends community. Mac, if we think about the concept of value, it's a time of the year when we're talking about midseason awards. In terms of forecasting the MVP race, Carson Wentz now the front runner. But if we believe in the actual word itself, value, is there any player more valuable to his team than Russell Wilson to the Seahawks? Uh, you can make an argument for that for sure. I mean, without I mean, they're five and three with him. I'd be scared to see what they would be without him. I mean, he's not only obviously leading the team in passing, but he leads, he's leading the team in rushing the last couple of weeks, kind of doing everything on the offense. And um, you know, with the kind of a makeshift offensive line until these guys find some stability, he's kind of running for his life, and he makes a lot of plays with his legs and makes people miss in space and. He seems to always make the right place, the right play at the right time, and uh, you know he's, he's surrounded by you know good couple of receivers, and uh, you know just some other uh, skill guys there that he can get the ball to. But yeah, I, you look at Russell Wilson, what he's doing with this team, and you know have them in second place in this division. Um, I think without him, they would be much further down the ladder. So yeah, he, he's right there in the mix of things, and hopefully he, along with the rest of these guys, can. Uh, help, you know, find their way out of this and start turning things around and get back to their winning ways. 
Uh, Mac, I've had this conversation with a lot of individuals, and since you're close to that Seattle organization, you'll be the best person to answer this question. Right now, statistically looking at Russell uh, Wilson's numbers, 17 touchdowns, six interceptions. He's right up there with Alex Smith and Tom Brady, and he has the Seahawks right in position to try to at least get a wild card position. Why is it when we talk about uh, quarterbacks and elite quarterbacks, there's not a lot of conversation and dialogue about Russell Wilson, and if it is, it's not the fact of giving him his just due and his credit when we may talk about Alex Smith or Matthew Stafford or, or Matt Ryan. Why are individuals not giving Russell Wilson his just due? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think uh, some of it has to do, I think, with the fact that, um, you know, when you think about the Seattle Seahawks, main, number one thing you think about is defense. And uh, so that, that side of the ball gets a lot of credit. And uh, rightly so. I mean, they, they've uh, had won games for this team at times over the years. Um, but he, he's right there in the mix. You know, I think the other thing that people look at him with is just his lack of size. Um, you know, he's not the prototypical uh, quarterback that I think people are used to seeing, like a Carson Wentz, like a Tom Brady, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, you know, big guy that can see over the, the line of scrimmage and, and and all of that. But I think what people are really miss about um, Russell Wilson is that he's a winner. And uh, to me, that the, the, that's the bottom line. You know, anything we're talking about, football, a competition, professional sports, is about does the guy win? Uh, are there a better team with him in there? You know, we just talked about a few minutes ago, what would they be like without him in there? He just finds a way to win games. He doesn't always make the, uh, you know, the right play or the best play. And, you know, he's had some ugly games this year, but somehow, some way, at the end of the game, they always have a chance because of him in there at quarterback. And I think that says a lot about him. And, um, you know, and, and that's been the case ever since he stepped foot into the building in 2012. Chatting with Mac Strong, former Seattle fullback, part of the NFL Legends community. Mac, over the history of the NFL, we've seen occasionally tension on great teams between offense and defense. Think about the 1985 Bears and who was really responsible for that 15-1 and run in the regular season and winning the Super Bowl. You know this organization in Seattle well. Are reports of a divided locker room and a split between the offense and the defense exaggerated to a degree? What's going on in Seattle? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, these guys are close. They, these guys played a lot of football together. You think about the core players on this team um, have been together now for a good four or five years, if not longer. And uh, so, yeah, do, are they, do they get frustrated? Absolutely. Do they yell at each other and get irritated at one another? Um, absolutely. Um, you know, do they almost come to blows out there on the practice field because their emotions kind of run high? And uh, Absolutely. But that's I think that's what a brotherhood is all about. You know, one thing you you won't see is is guys pointing fingers and and blaming one side of the ball or uh, individuals or anything like that. They take they take the uh, the wins and losses together as a team. Uh, they know that they've been in this position before uh, in the past, and they've been able to pull out of it because they've stayed together. And uh, so I don't I don't expect them to fracture at this point. I expect them to stay together and uh, keep pointing towards uh, tonight and uh, get back on track uh, with winning. Mac, we've seen this team struggle offensively, and we've seen them struggle and get to the Super Bowl. Also this season, we've seen them put up a lot of points. When the offense is is clicking, the protection is there, Russ was finding his receivers, he's hitting those deep throws. But can this team get back to the Super Bowl, get to Minnesota, playing those kind of baseball type of score games where it's, it's, it's a 12-9 game? Uh, I mean, I think so. Um, you know, if you, you talk to Pete Carroll, any of those guys, I mean, all they care about is winning. Um, you know, they're not about the stats. Um, they, they understand that the stats will come. Um, you know, you they they know that they realize that in the, in the course of a season, 16-game season, it, that's long. It, they're just at the halfway point now. There's ebbs and flows. There's ups and downs, peaks and valleys. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and you kind of hit those. And, and how you react to that will determine what type of football team you'd be. And they, they've always reacted well in the, in the past. They've gone back after a bad loss, and they figured out what they needed to do. And, um, you know, they come out the next game, and, and they're able to put it together. And they know that, um, you know, they, they've got to be able to – 
make adjustments here on the fly real quick because after a while, you know, you, you if you look, don't win this game tonight, now you now you slip back another couple of games behind the Los Angeles Rams and a couple of other teams in the NFC, and that makes uh you know that makes it a little bit harder. So I think this team is the best when their backs are against the wall, and uh, certainly they're there right now, and so. They're a dangerous team when you put them in that position. I think they'll come out fighting, and um, they'll, they'll find some consistency and ride that all the way to the end of the season. Mac, I'm old enough to remember when a fullback was a key component to just about every offense. Obviously, that has changed, but things run in cycles in sports. Do you think a few more teams might go old school and start utilizing the fullback more? Notice this year Pittsburgh's been running with a fullback out there from time to time. I think so. You know, you said it. I mean, everything's cool in this league, and you see things come and go, and, um, you know, I think people go back and they'll start looking at film and look at his stats, and especially if you teams that want to play good defense and run the football, um, you better figure out how to get somebody in front of that running back um, that will clear the way um, if you want to, you know, have opportunity to start, start winning. And so that, to me, is what it's all about. Uh, sometimes fullbacks get a bad rap for just either being too short uh, to, you know, to be a tight end or too slow to be in a, a, a feature back. But I think what they lose out on is just the fact that, you know, those guys like myself and Tony Richardson and and, and a lot of other fullbacks that have played uh, before us, I mean, really good coming out of the backfield, sneaking out. Um, you know, I think staying in the backfield, picking off an extra, you know, defender uh, in pass protection. Guys like us, we're dying breed, obviously. But uh, if you look at the success of the teams we were on, uh, it would behoove a lot of teams to start figuring out how they can incorporate the fullback position back into their offense. Mac, Jimmy Graham was brought in to the organization to be a threat down the middle of the field inside the red zone. Those numbers have been really panned out the way that everyone anticipated. Last week, a couple of passes uh, went through his hands in critical moments. How was it that offensive coordinator – Dara Bevel, how, how can he get Jimmy Graham more involved in the offense where he can actually be that threat that they expected him to be when they traded for him when he was a member of the New Orleans Saints? Well, I think the biggest thing is just to not get Jimmy just depressed. You know, I think anytime you bring a new a guy to a system, and he just got here last year. I mean, I think anytime you have a guy in the system, um, it, it takes a little bit of, um, you know, just familiarity with the quarterback and with, uh, other guys on the field to just to know where your where your spot uh, is and where you need to be, um, and, and they got a lot of receivers. They got a lot of explosive receivers. You think about uh, you know all the guys that have caught balls from Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin and Paul Richardson and all the rest of these guys. I mean they, these guys are dangerous, you know, um, targets down the field. And so um, you know Russell Russell gets very familiar with some of these guys, and it's easy to put the ball in the hands. And I think they, that chemistry will come along, I think, with, uh, with Jimmy Graham. He, just, he can't push it. He can't be pressing. Russell can't be pressing. And when they have opportunity to connect, then they really got to connect them. I and mean, I've seen Jimmy drop a couple balls that he normally catches. And so, to me, I think his confidence level and Russell's confidence level in him will go up. And when he has the opportunity to get his you know, two hands on the ball, he brings it in. I think he'll start seeing a lot more balls come his way, and he'll be a lot more involved in the offense. And I think you're exactly right. Once they start getting him more involved, I think that'll even affect the running game and be able to open up some of those holes and find room for those running backs. Finally, Mac, we have an outstanding relationship with the NFL Legends community, real highlight of the program every Thursday to chat with a legend like yourself. What does it mean to you to be part of the NFL Legends community? Well, it means to be a part of a brotherhood. Um, you know, if you are, you ever played in the National Football League, um, you know, once a player, forever a legend. You know, I think that's that's the we that's the way we think. And um, you know, there there are a lot of guys that played this game, played it at a high level. There's some guys that played longer than others, but that's okay. Um, if you ever put on the uniform and wore the shield, then you're part of the brotherhood. And uh, so I'm so grateful just to be a part of this uh, particular uh, initiative that's been around since 2013 because uh, it's very instrumental in just getting out there and getting the word out, making sure guys stay connected to the NFL, to the teams they play for, and, and to the brotherhood and to the guys that they played with. And um, that, that, I think that just goes a long way. You know, that, that was, for a lot of us, that was kind of the best time in our lives. And we accomplished a lot of things out on the football field. And now we're just really interested to make sure that guys are taken care of 
And if they're just success, successful off the field in their post football careers, they were on the field. And so it's just a it's a great initiative. Uh, it was started by the NFL, and uh, just grateful to be a part of it. And uh, just calling all any and all players out there that's ever been a part of it. Hopefully, they can get out there and register. Go to NFL.com/slash/legends. You can register for Legends community, and uh, you can be connected back to the league that you're a part of. And we're proud to get the word out as well. Mac, we enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for the time, and enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for your visit here on the NFL on TuneIn. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns and St. Pum returns, and I can't believe he caught that, look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste with only 96 calories. Miller Lite, the original light beer, to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste miller Lite. welcome back to nfl no huddle the podcast here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart this is nfl no huddle the podcast now let's spotlight significant injuries with our injury analyst will carroll say hello to our injury analyst will carroll media relations director from modus global Jameis winston we heard he had the shoulder issue Week by week, he was able to play. Started on Sunday on the road in New Orleans and then did not play the second half. We learned earlier this week he was going to be shut down for the foreseeable future. What do we know about the shoulder injury itself? This is one we've seen over and over in the NFL in various ways. Jameis Winston is a perfect case of why you have to be conservative with this. What he has is an AC sprain and a chromioclavicular sprain. It's the small joint that's in between your clavicle, your collarbone, uh, and the shoulder itself, which is connected to the acromion process. Uh, big words. But really what it means is he landed on his shoulder, and when he did, it opened up a little bit. The ligament stretched. So that's bad. You don't want that. But there are other bad things that happen when you land on your shoulder. For instance, if you're Aaron Rodgers, uh, if you land on it and it comes straight back and the force comes through, something's going to break. In his instance, it was his clavicle. Uh, if you're Andrew Luck and you're tackled and you land on your shoulder and it rolls forward, your labrum gets stretched and it can often tear or at least fray. So bad things happen when quarterbacks land on their shoulders. There's no protection there. The shoulder pads do nothing for this kind of impact, and there's frankly nothing out there that does. Best thing is don't get sacked, don't get knocked down, uh, but unfortunately that's just not how the NFL is played these days. So for Winston, he was well enough to play, but he was obviously getting hit, landing on the shoulder, making it worse. So it couldn't get all the way better. It's kind of like when you were a kid, you would pick off the scab, and then you wonder why it's, you've still got a cut there uh, on your knee two weeks later. He just didn't have time to heal. So they're going to give him the time to heal, make sure he's back, hope that Ryan Fitzgerald can push them forward, uh, and hope that they have a healthy Jameis Winston in a week, two, or three. Well, Nick Ferguson here, week week eight uh, in the game between the San Diego Chargers and the New, New England Patriots, uh, Chris Hogan took a shot to uh, a mid-portion of his arm, uh, and the reports were that it was a shoulder injury. Now, they had to buy with some time to rest. Uh, what are the expectations that he could possibly play uh, this Sunday in Denver? It's a good possibility. The question here is going to be function. Yeah, there's a lot of talk that this is a very similar injury to what uh, to what uh, Jameis Winston is going through. That his shoulder was pushed back, uh, took that big hit, and opened up the AC joint, which led to the sprain. Uh, now, there's a number of other things. As I said, you, you can get labrum damage. Uh, you can get all sorts of things. Uh, none of them good from this kind of play. So we'll have to see exactly how this plays out. But what it's going to come down to is function. Can he reach up and get the ball? Can he you know, uh, push uh, off a receiver? Is he able to do the blocking that he needs to do? And is it going to get worse when inevitably he gets hit or tackled? You hope he doesn't take a big hit like that ever, but he's likely going to. So they're going to make a decision probably tomorrow on whether he's moved along enough uh, to play on Sunday. Injury analyst Will Carroll is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn as we get set for Seattle and Arizona matching up in Thursday Night Football. 
All signs pointing to Earl Thomas being unable to play with a hamstring injury. Well, if we're talking about what one does, even a highly skilled athlete, to try to alleviate a hamstring issue, we're talking hot tub, cold tub, rest. What do you do? All of the above. ECM, uh, the Mark Pro, uh, they'll be doing literally everything they can think of. And each athlete is different. Somebody responds to ice differently than somebody else. There'll be uh, massages. There'll be all sorts of things they'll do. For players as important as Earl, uh, they'll be darn near moving in with him to try to get him ready if they possibly can. But they also have a history with him. They know what he responds to. Uh, they know, you know what he's going to tell them. That's one of the toughest parts is for these athletic trainers and doctors players don't often tell them a lot and sometimes can't express exactly what they're feeling because they want to play as much as the doctor wants to get them back out on the field. So they'll be doing pretty much anything they can because he is going to be such key. Uh, you, you've seen what Arizona's been doing, uh, just pumping uh, Adrian Peterson out there, carry after carry after carry. You don't often see, what was it, 36, 37 carries like he had last week. Uh, and without Earl Thomas clogging up the middle uh, and stopping the box, They'll be able to do it again. So the Packers part ways with tight end Martellus Bennett claiming that he didn't disclose a shoulder injury that he's now dealing with. Now the Patriots pick him up off of waivers. Now he's now a member of their team. Yeah, it's it's, kind of crazy. (laughs) When when we were just talking before you came on that I didn't believe that he should have left the Patriots to begin with, but – I'm not going to count anyone else's money, but now he's back with the Patriots. Now, how? what's the severity of this injury, and how soon could we expect Bennett to be catching passes from Tom Brady? Very soon. Now, here's the intriguing thing. Yep. Essentially, the Packers were saying he didn't disclose something along the way, and it's really difficult to hide an injury. And you know, a lot of people are saying, well, it's something that happened in the offseason, so there wouldn't have been a record of it. Well, if that's the case, then it's fraud, and they could go after his contract, a lot of different things, but you don't often see that. If he got hurt and you didn't tell anybody, well, that's kind of on the medical staff as well, that he didn't trust him enough. Um, it's just an odd situation. Now let's add to it that you know he's been picked up on waivers. He hasn't cleared a physical with the Patriots yet, as far as I know, but they certainly know him well. Uh, some of these physical for incoming athletes are, are about as simple as, well, he's breathing. You pass. Uh, but I'm take a look at him. Make sure that shoulder is okay. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if he'll disclose it to them. But if they do, uh, what does that mean to the Packers? That he's he disclosed it to the Patriots, but hid it from the Packers? I don't get how this is going at all. You just have to hope Martellus is okay because he's been really, really good. This feels like the Legarrette Blunt thing all over again. That somehow. Bill Belichick is managing to find a way around the the trading deadline, and the players are doing it for him. Stunning that the Patriots would try to gain an advantage. We've never seen that before in the history of the National Football League. Alongside Nick Ferguson, I'm Brian Weber, spotlighting bumps and bruises with one of the best in the business, our injury analyst, Will Carroll. Well, last one for me, with Arizona taking on Seattle tonight on Thursday Night Football, let's go back to the Carson Palmer injury suffered in London a few weeks ago. Broken left arm. Based on the initial reporting, there was an aggressive timetable that could have him back on the field as soon as, say, week 16. Is that consistent with what... You're still hearing, and there is a chance he might play again if Arizona's still in playoff contention. Yeah, absolutely, and that's going to be the key. Can they get along long enough? And don't forget, David Johnson's on the horizon as well after his wrist surgery. You know, for, for Carson Palmer, uh, it's really simple. He's just basically got to you know, stay in shape, keep his arm ready, and then wait for that arm to heal. We all know little Jimmy down the street who fell off his skateboard and broke his arm. This is the same thing. It's just frustrating that there's not really anything we can do to make broken bones heal any faster. It's time and rest and being able to do as much as you can so that there's the minimum you can do uh, to minimize that time between the time you're medically cleared to get back out there and the time you're able to actually uh, functionally get back out there. Now, here's going to be the interesting thing to watch. Because he's on the IR, he can't practice, but he can do things on the side uh, and you know, throw the ball, do pretty much everything he can 
I want to know how much throwing he's doing. Uh, how quickly are they going to be able to ramp him back up? I don't think it's going to be uh, very long. And I would not be surprised if they start to think about, could he play with a calf? How are they going to protect that arm as he comes back? Uh, certainly you want to make sure he's 100% healed, but do you want to protect it as well? I don't think it would really affect his game to have some sort of pad on that arm. Well, last one for me. Uh, we all know about the gruesome injury Teddy Bridgewater sustained to his lower extremities. He returns to practice. seemed like he was a boost of confidence for the Vikings uh, team as a whole. What, what's the likelihood that we could possibly see Bridgewater back in the starting lineup under center for the Minnesota Vikings before the season's end? I think it's a very good chance because they obviously, you know, they, they want to win, and Teddy Bridgewater looks to be a very good quarterback. He, he's had this time off, unfortunately, due to that injury. But from the minute of the injury, the way that Eric Sugarman and his staff handled that injury, and we, we've seen it again with Zach Miller just a couple weeks ago, this was possibly a life-threatening situation, let alone uh, a bad injury. He's had every chance from that moment to come back, and now we're starting to see it. Essentially, forget about the gruesome injury. Just think of this as a basic ACL injury, because that's what it amounts to in the rehab. Once they figured out that the nerves and the blood vessels uh, were handled, then they just basically had to repair the damage that was in there and give him the time to heal back up, and they've done that. Most quarterbacks come back from ACL injuries. We know this. Uh, even the mobile ones, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, we'll learn this here. He, he did it once. I think he'll be able to do it again. So I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be able to come back, and I think it's going to surprise people how little of his athleticism and mobility he loses. And I think they're going to want to see him uh, in at least the last couple games, if not earlier, uh, to know what they have for next year and make decisions about whether he's going to be their number one going forward. Well, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thank you for your time. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks a lot, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Peter King here from the MMQB. Listen live this Sunday as I join Brian Weber and Nick Ferguson on NFL First and Goal. Over the shoulder, catch of the five, inside the pylon, touchdown. Between the biggest plays from around the league, we'll talk about the biggest storylines from this week's games, and cover the day's action in real time. Catch NFL First and Goal every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's dig deeper into the Thursday night matchup between Seattle and Arizona with our original team player presented by Miller Lite. It's NFL No Huddle, spotlighting the stars of the game who played their hearts out for one team their entire career. It's the original team player presented by Miller Lite. Nick, it's Larry Fitzgerald now in his 13th season of unparalleled success as a playmaker for the Arizona Cardinals. Third overall pick in the 2004 draft coming out of Pitt. Nick, you were still in the league as Larry made a very smooth transition from college football to the National Football League. What were your early impressions of Fitzgerald as he really emerged into the go-to receiver for the Cardinals? I mean, looking at where he is now, he's not the same player he was uh, at the time that I was playing. Uh, Now he's slowed down. At that point, he was really fast. He could stretch the field, and that big body of his, whether you're a corner or you're a safety, he was able to go up with that big catch radius and catch the ball and, and take it away. And as a wide receiver, you have to have that mentality. When the ball is in the air, no matter where it's thrown, if it's thrown anywhere in your vicinity, it is your ball. That's the mentality that he had displayed at that time, and he's still displaying now. And due to the lack of speed, they've moved him from the outside, and they made him more of a, a slot receiver where he even you know functions you know better than he did function you know out wide because now you're matched up with the team's third corner, and sometimes with the linebacker. You can now go in and dig out those linebackers on run plays, but also you can go and sit down in the middle of the field like you know teams normally use the tight end, but also they can run routes where they run you across on a cross-country. That's what we call a cross-country route. Run you across to the other zone, and usually there's supposed to be a defender sitting there waiting for you, 
But now that gives him an opportunity to make those catches uh, that he now can make, being as though he still doesn't have that speed. But uh, when you talk about Hall of Fame talent, uh, you, you, you have to mention him in that conversation. And it's always, well, what are the characteristics that uh, will put a wide receiver, a guy in any position in that Hall of Fame category? And you talk about first battle, and we've seen, you know, Terrell Owens battle with that too. But here's the difference. You know, Fitzgerald's never had any of those off-season or off-the-field issues of concerns. He's always cordial. He's he's out in the community doing so many different things. And when you look at his career statistically, right now, let's just take a look at some of uh, the top guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Jerry Rice, Chris Carter. Tim Brown, Andre Reed. Both it took Chris Carter, Tim Brown, and Andre Reed a couple of years for them to get in. I don't feel as though that's going to happen with uh, Fitzgerald because his stats. I mean, I'll just give you Tim Brown's stat. Mm-hmm. Tim Tim Brown has more than a thousand receptions, uh, fourteen thousand more than fourteen thousand yards uh, receiving, and a hundred TDs when he retired. Fitzgerald right now he's at a 1,700, 1,175 receptions and 14,953 yards receiving with 107 touchdowns. And he's he's still playing. Once again, he's not what he was, you know, five, six years ago, but playing in in that slot, he can continue to build on those stats. And that's right there, the stat line close to Tim Brown. So it'd be hard pressed for me to find anyone who wouldn't say that Larry Fitzgerald is not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I don't cast votes. Maybe you do. I still don't know (laughs) how they decide who's going in and and who's not. And it's kind of a popularity contest. Did you win a Super Bowl or how productive was your team? All that aside, all I know looking at what he means to the Arizona Cardinals, Carson Palmer, Bruce Aarons and that offense and the numbers I just listed who that can still grow before he calls it, a, calls it quits, to me, how can you keep him out of the Hall of Fame on the first ballot? I, I just don't see it. Focusing on Larry Fitzgerald, he's today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. I'm glad you're talking Canton, Ohio, because that's where I wanted to get us to to wrap up the analysis. Pull up Terrell Owens' numbers, and they're just sensational. You don't have to go category by category. We know T.O.'s still waiting to get the call from the Hall. And even though, unlike baseball, Nick, Pro Football Hall of Fame, character is not a criteria. It's what you did on the field and surrounding the playing field. But here's where folks who don't like T.O. are able to come up with an anti-Owens argument. They extend the playing field into the locker room, and they said he was a bad teammate there. If that's the case... Shouldn't that bolster what you're talking about with Larry Fitzgerald being a first ballot Hall of Famer because he's always been viewed as a quality teammate? And if you're thinking about his contributions off the field, last year he won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Absolutely. And and I have uh, Terrell's numbers right here. He has more than 15,000 yards receiving, and he did that with five teams. And what you're speaking to right now of the caliber of person and player uh, Fitzgerald is – he did that with one particular team, which which is definitely hard to do in the league, knowing with free agency and how teams, you know, move on past players. But it's funny because we've seen same thing happening, you know, with Pete Rose in baseball and Terrell Owens. You know, the, this is what I call the media comeback, when now they can kind of inflict their level of playing their pain on a player who's looking to get into the hall and say, wait a minute. I remember covering you, and you were not the nicest person. You would not give the nicest sound bites, and you treated us like crap. So this is my opportunity to seek revenge on you. No one would say that about Fitzgerald. Consummate pro. Like I said before, he's always out in the community trying to do productive things. He even went back to school to get his degree because he promised his mother that he would actually do that. See, these, those are all the things that when you look at a Hall of Fame player, these are things that should be taken into consideration, but oftentimes they are not. So still, I can't see how anyone in their right mind would somehow keep Larry Fitzgerald 
out of the hall. Now, let's just say, just for conversational purposes, if we had Randy, Terrell, and Larry retired in that five-year window before you can be considered to go into the hall and say, well, of those three receivers, rank them from one to three, who would probably go in first or we think we would go in first? Obviously, I would go with Randy Moss because how he changed the way, you know, you drafted guys to stop him in the backfield and how he changed the game in the vertical passing game, you know, entirely. But my second guy would be Larry Fitzgerald. I'm just, I mean, he just extraordinary. Just watching him in the early days of his career, how fluid he was running his routes, getting in and out of his break to run every route on a route tree. And when you talk about strong, soft hands as a wide receiver, trying to go up and take a ball from him, you really had to shoot your hand through his palm and try to rip down to take the ball away from him. Those are the kind of things I remember about playing against Larry Fitzgerald and the reason why I'm so high on him going into the hall as a first ballot guy. And the reason why we tab Larry Fitzgerald today because he has spent his entire career shining in the Valley of the Sun. You'll see him tonight. You'll hear it on TuneIn Premium as Seattle matches up against the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday Night Football. Larry Fitzgerald, today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. This original team player segment has been presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Miller Lite, hold true. NFL No Huddle will be back right after this. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns and St. Pum returns, and I can't believe he caught that, look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste with only 96 calories. Miller Lite, the original light beer, to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. It's time for the Fantasy Fix with Holden Kushner of TuneIn Sports. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Today we're joined by our good friend Holden Kushner of TuneIn Sports. Holden, we appreciate you taking the time. I'm based in Southern California where Ram fans are losing their minds based on the high-octane offense. From the fantasy point of view, who's the better play right now, Robert Woods or Sammy Watkins? Oh, they're so excited about the team that they forgot had even moved there a couple of weeks ago, aren't they? I'm going to go with... <laughs> Thank you for the commentary as well. That's yeah, what I enjoy. It's, it's, well, that's that's why you pay me the big bucks to come on your show. Huge money. Now, uh, Robert Woods is the guy with the higher floor. Robert Woods is the guy that's going to see a lot more targets come his way. Sammy Watkins is the guy that is slightly more likely to hit for a 65-yard touchdown. I mean, if I'm trying to win money in fantasy football, I'm going with Robert Woods. I'm feeling pretty comfortable. If I'm playing like a daily game and I just want to throw something against the wall, maybe Samuel will come up with a 65 and a touchdown again. Holding Nick Ferguson here. I mean, Hi, we, Nick. How you doing? Listen, we, we watch Adrian Peterson leave New Orleans Saints and go out to the desert, and he's been – Pretty impressive in his first show in 138 yards. Last week, 159 yards, 14 fantasy points. If you own Adrian Peterson and tonight's Thursday night game against the Seattle Seahawks and they're kind of beat up, do you start Adrian Peterson or you just bench him? Well, it always depends on the other guys you got. But here's what I'll, I'll tell you to expect. And you look at some of the Vegas books, and they got the player props. They're expecting him to go around 70 yards tonight. So let's just say he gets 25 touches, and he averages three yards a carry, which is not, not really far off what he's done this year. He's at 3.91. So he'd have a little bit of a suppressed game. I'm looking at about 80 yards. The Seahawks have given up seven rushing touchdowns this year, so you're definitely going to pay off. I mean, he's nothing more than a running back two, in my estimation, more of a flex, but I'm not benching him just because of the matchup because I think he's going to get the ball a lot. Fantasy fix plus sidebars when we're chatting with Holden Kushner. All right, you talked Vegas. As a media consumer, have you 
checked out any of Brett Musburger's podcasts or streaming live from Vegas, his new website thing? I was asked to come on their show and to do uh, some baseball stuff with them, and then I said I couldn't do it because I'm with TuneIn. So that's what I got for you. You are looking live. Okay. Next week, listen to the podcast. We'll talk about that because obviously you, you and I it? are positioned to critique everybody, right? Oh, okay. I will do that. Absolutely. Here's I love, the other I love thing. gambling. Brett does not care anymore. If you follow him on Twitter, he's ripping everybody. Tony Romo. Tony Romo. He, yeah. It's it's Brent unplugged, Beautiful. and that's the way we like Brent. Let me get you back to fantasy football. The Jets, in reality, have been a surprise. We're looking ahead to Sunday. It's the Ryan Fitzpatrick Bowl. Ryan Fitzpatrick guiding the Buccaneers against the team he stole money from last year, Gang Green. Tampa Bay's defense has been hideous, only piling up eight sacks. So if I said pick somebody on the Jets' offense, you have to pick anybody on that roster. Is there a name that would stand out that you'd play on Sunday? I like a lot of guys uh, in this game. I know it's ugly, it's gross, it's disgusting. I'm playing a lot of uh, daily games this week, and the safe pick I got is Josh McCown. I mean, this Tampa Bay defense gets shredded through the air. I think he's safe for two touchdowns a game. They give up at least two touchdowns every single game. Josh McCown's numbers, just go start digging into him a little bit. You tell me if he's not having a better season. So, you know, last week it was only a, a buck 40 and a touchdown. They didn't have to throw it very much against Atlanta. He threw for 257 and two through three touchdowns against Miami. I think he's a good play. I think Matt Forte having that knee issue, Bilal Powell being a timeshare with Elijah McGuire, but I think Powell has some upside there. And I think Robbie Anderson, despite the fact that Grimes looks like he's going to play, I think Robbie Anderson can have a nice game. Uh, Safarian Jenkins going up against his old team, and he's been a constant target. And again, you know, the defense in there. And, and then on the other side, I think Cameron Brate's a remarkable play. I think Fitzmagic is just a guy you throw a dart at. And now that there is no Mike Evans, I think Brate's going to get red zone looks. And I think that Deshaun Jackson is not a bad play. So early this week in Denver, an interview with Nine News, Brock Osweiler said the Patriots are the perfect opponent to get the Broncos back on track. But that, <laughs> with, with that being said, how does Brock somehow change the value of the Broncos' playmakers? I mean, it was already bad, but now it's worse. And I think it does change the way that he's going to watch the game because at some point in time he'll get benched and he'll get to watch Tom Brady run the the, the way it's supposed to be. And the Patriots <laughs> the Patriots defense, you guys have been seeing this, a little bit tighter lately. The bend don't break is still there. They've been a little tighter lately. They're coming off the, the long rest. I think that they're just going to, to shred uh, Denver, especially a big, big week for Gronkowski. But if you're talking about the Denver offense, I, I just don't like very much of anything what's going on. They're running backs. Nobody's broken through taking that job. C.J. Anderson, not the guy. Uh, Demarius Thomas, obviously a stud with, with uh, Emmanuel Sanders coming back this week. Sanders would be a guy that I have my eye on. But, you know, Thomas got, doesn't have the easiest matchup in the world. And the, the quarterback situation is so horrible. It's too bad because you're wasting one of the great defenses in the NFL today. So I think you mark everybody down, and I, I don't see very many points. I think I see a lot of points on the New England side. I don't see anybody I really like with the exception of Emmanuel Sanders. Fantasy Fix, Holden Kushner, as we're trying to give you winning fantasy advice as a radio hack Juju Smith-Schuster, what am I supposed to say? He's on his bicycle, but he got his driver's license. Remember Barry Tompkins? Holden, was that before your time? You ever watch Barry call fights? Uh, I did not remember. What year was this? What did Early 1980s. 70s? Early oh, 1980s. I was just a pup. I okay. was a pup. Barry, yeah. every boxer who would get on a roll, and Barry's a good friend and a mentor, and now I'm going to denigrate him, would say, he's on his bicycle, he's on a roll. All right, Juju now has a driver's license. Back to fantasy analysis. Juju Smith-Schuster versus Martavis Bryant. Comparative value moving forward. Juju. I mean, that's, I, I love Juju coming out of college. I love Juju right now. And I think Martavius Bryant, even when he's in the lineup, has been maddeningly inconsistent to begin with. It looks like there's a nice rapport between Ben Roethlisberger and Juju Smith-Schuster. And, and everybody likes saying the name Juju. I mean, that's a lot of fun, too. So let's stick with Juju here. I'm not even looking the way of Martavius Bryant. I think that ship has sailed. If he has one more big game with the Steelers, fine, so be it. Um, and it could be this week because everybody sh should be lighting up the cold second there. I mean, it's just it's a bad scene going on right now in Indianapolis. But I'll take Juju. Give me the younger guy, although Martavius is young. Give me the young guy that seemingly has fit right into that offense. Big fan of his.
All right, Kevin Benjamin is now a member of the Buffalo Bills, which Tyrod Taylor is definitely happy about that. But for Cam Newton, his other two targets, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Devin Funches, how does it change their fantasy values knowing as though Kevin Benjamin is now out of the picture? Oh, I love him. I, I thought Funches had a lot more talk. Funches had a decent game uh, without Kelvin Benjamin. Christian McCaffrey seeing more balls come his way. And then uh, Samuels, the other one that gets a bump up. So I think the whole passing game there when it comes to the Carolina Panthers is going to be a little bit better. You'd like to see Cam run a little bit more. At least I, I, I want to continue to see that because I don't think that team has any chance if he doesn't. Um, so, yes, I think it, things are looking good for Funchess and for Christian McCaffrey at this point in time, and I think that they could be even better for Curtis Samuel, who saw the field a lot uh, in his last game and just has some blazing speed. I'm really intrigued to see how he fits into this offense longer term. Oh, and last one for me. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. Let's focus on the team that plays in the East Bay, the Silver and Black Raiders on the bye when they resume play, would you ride with Derek Carr? Do you think he's healthier since the back issue's been resolved? He looked fairly effective in the Sunday night victory on the road to Miami. Man, that offense has just been really perplexing to me. He's got great weapons, but Amari Cooper's so disappointing. I mean, it, it, this guy is too talented to be dropping balls and looking like just, just like a seventh-round pick instead of a first-rounder. But Derek Carr, listen, one of the, one of the ultimate uh, talents in his game. has never put up the gaudy numbers. He does have Michael Crabtree. The running game at least looked to have gotten on track a little bit. He's a he's one of the, he's like maybe a twelve to fourteen. He's a quarterback one, but there's a whole bunch of guys I'd rather head of have ahead of him from this point on. I'll still take Mariota. I'll still take Cousins. I'll still take Taylor. I'll and definitely Goff and Wentz and all these other young guys. Carr's moving back. I think he's he's an okay play. He's nobody that really stands out to me. Hold on, I'll wrap it up with this. Ezekiel Elliott, the judgment has been has come down. He's going to be suspended for six games, starting with the game this Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. So that means Darren McFadden and Alfred Morrison, two running backs who practice a lot, never really got a lot of game time play. What happens with the Cowboys offense? And should fantasy owners now jump on these two players with Zeke expected to miss six games you know he's gonna be back tomorrow right isn't this how this goes <laughs> like, hey! do, you, do you know something that we don't No. all i know is track record and it seems like every time he's out he's back in so let's just say he misses this week okay right so alfred morris gonna be the number one and i think rod smith and darren mcfadden are also gonna see it'll be a three-way timeshare it's just gonna be an ugly situation there smith um 10 carries 69 yards he's also got a couple catches for 23 more yards so i like rod smith too as a little bit of a sleeper there it'll be um alfred morris number one mcfadden two but smith is a guy that could really break through and we'll see how long the suspension goes I and mean, i wouldn't get too excited if um if you go out pick up alfred morris and he has a big week because zeke will probably play again this year don't you think I, the way things have been going has been back and forth like uh, a soap opera that's the only way to classify it so you're absolutely right from what we've seen thus far Everything tells us that, you know, at some point Zeke will be back in because the iron fist of Jerry Jones are <laughs> constantly pounding the table to get his guy back in the game. It's not working that well this time. Not the so iron, well. The iron fist is just didn't work well this week. Maybe the next week. Maybe, you, maybe next week. Appreciate it. We'll chat with you next Thursday. If you have a chance, download Brent's podcast. I'd like a review. You are looking live. Well, I'll tell you, I got a 50, it's 50, 50 right now. The, my, my, uh, future son could be out this time. next. Oh, week. okay. Well, congratulations. I mean, Nick he's just, laying low. He's laying low. Nick just welcomed a, a new bundle of joy into the world. Absolutely. And I had a date in 1988. So I'm keeping <laughs> you honest. All right. Yeah, it's, I'm getting too old for this stuff. <laughs> Danny Glover. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this stuff. Hey, good luck with that. So I hope we're not chatting with you next week. No, and I we'll chat we with are. you in a couple weeks, no, all right? No, if the kid comes now, then there's no football this Sunday. I'm all excited. I'm all prepped up for this week. So let's push it back a week. Okay. I hope the timing works out in Thank an advantageous you. fashion so you can watch football on in Sunday. In a perfect world, February. But take care, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Peter King here from the MMQB. Listen live this Sunday as I join Brian Weber and Nick Ferguson on NFL First and Goal. Over the 
shoulder catch of the five. Inside the pylon, touchdown. Between the biggest plays from around the league, we'll talk about the biggest storylines from this week's games and cover the day's action in real time. Catch NFL First and Goal every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's preview Thursday Night Football and let you know what we are more than sure is going to happen between Seattle and Arizona. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. Nick, we have less than two minutes left in the show. It's five and three Seattle on the road at four and four Arizona. Let you go first. Who's going to win tonight? Why? What's the final score? Well, I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals. I know Drew Stanton didn't really light it up last week against uh, the San Francisco 49ers, but I believe in Adrian Peterson. When you've had all the negative things point against him, he was on the commissioner exempt list, missed a whole year of football, and now he's on his redemption tour. He didn't really get the ball in New Orleans, and we saw 169 yards on the ground against the San Francisco 49ers. We talked about, you know, about the Seattle Seahawks defense and the fact that Earl Thomas may not be the man in the middle. So you see uh, maybe Cam Chancellor down in the box, but this is a defense who has been beat up across the line of scrimmage in the front seven. So AP is going to have a nice day uh, tonight on Thursday night. It's a short week. So I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals. Like I said, I'm going to go 20 to 13 in favor of the Cardinals. Well, if you're right, then we have pure chaos in the NFC West, and we love having storylines to dissect. But I got to go with my brain. Seattle, despite the injuries in the secondary, short week on the road, they win this game because they need it. It's going to be low scoring, 24 to 20, final score. Seattle wins it, 24 to 20. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.